I'm Grady, and this is my column on computing. Once upon a time, give my grandchild what he is crying for. Give him that one hanging on the end. That is the bag of stars. And so begins the story of how Raven brought light to the world. Every culture has its creation stories, and this particular one comes to us from the Tinglet, the indigenous people of the Pacific Northwest living around the border of Alaska and British Columbia. The Tinglet came into being in a region abundant with food. Salmon, halibut, herring, berries, seal, deer, bear. And so we're able to evolve a richly textured culture, one filled with family, art, spirituality, and relative peace. This continued until contact with European explorers in 1741, first the Russians, then the Spanish, and then others, after which their society underwent massive changes, largely owing to succumbing to those distinctly European diseases of smalltox, syphilis, and capitalism. Still, and even to this day, their stories and their mythology continue, for they serve to bind the tinglet to their past and define them as a proud people, even now, Raven remains an important character. For the Tinglet and many other cultures, Raven is the trickster, a figure who mediates between life and death. Tinglet society is divided into two Moriaites, one descended from Raven and the other from Eagle, and across these two divisions, marriages are made. Of course, science tells us that it was not Raven who brought light to the world. It's a bit more complex than that. However, just because something is not factual does not mean that it is not true. These stories, these myths, says Joseph Campbell, are clues to the spiritual potentialities of human life. According to Campbell, myths have four functions. The first is the mystical function, realizing what a wonder the universe is, and what a wonder you are, and experiencing awe before this mystery. The second is a cosmological dimension, the dimension with which science is concerned, showing you what shape the universe is, but showing it in such a way that the mystery again comes through. The third function is the sociological one, supporting and validating a certain social order. There is a fourth function of myth, and that is the pedagogical function of how to live a human lifetime under any circumstances. Raven is a cosmological myth, the story of a pre-science culture trying to make sense of reality. In the world of computing, we have our own myths, and they too help us to make sense of this complex world of our own relatively recent invention. Even Campbell gives us a bridge between the digital and the mystical, once observing that computers are like Old Testament gods, lots of rules and no mercy. I posit that there are three kinds of computing stories. We hold myths about the world of computing, we tell stories with our computers, and we tell stories to our machines. The creation story of Twitter is an example of the first, and it illustrates that the story of computing is the story of humanity, filled with drama, hubris, passion, betrayal, and serendipity. Twitter was founded by Evan Williams, Biz Stone, Jack Dorsey, and Noah Glass, and, as you might expect, when you bash four very intense people together, sparks can fly. Nick Bolton in Hatching Twitter, a true story of money, power, friendship, and betrayal, gives a wonderful account of Twitter's genesis. Indeed, these creation stories are so interesting they have spawned a sub-industry. Brad Stone's The Everything Store, Jeff Bezos, and The Age of Amazon. David Kirkpatrick's The Facebook Effect, the inside story of the company that is connecting the world. 
Stephen Levi in the Plex. How Google thinks Emperor Pew's building IBM shape in industry and its technology. Walter Isaacson's Steve Jobs, and the list goes on. Why do we read these stories? It's more than just our curiosity about the past. It's about trying to reconcile our present. Steve and Bill and Ellen and Waz are all fascinating people in their own right, and by understanding how they face challenges, we might better understand why the world of computing is as it is today, and additionally, be intentional about the future. We don't just tell ourselves creation stories. We also weave stories about the future. The singularity is such a myth. Ray Kurzweil was not the first to tell the story. John von Neumann used the term several decades before when he spoke of, in Stan Ullum's words, ever-accelerating progress of technology and changes in the mode of human life, which gives the appearance of approaching some essential singularity in the history of the race beyond which human affairs, as we know them, could not continue. Ray vastly extended this story in his book so conveniently titled, The Singularity is Near, When Humans Transcend Biology suggesting that some remarkable degree of precision that humanity would reach the singularity around the year 2045. One is reminded of another intellectual, Archbishop James Usher, who projected back in time, declaring that the first day of creation was Sunday the 23rd of October, 4004 BC. Why do we tell ourselves these kinds of stories? I think it goes back to Campbell's idea of cosmological mythology, an attempt on our part to both look back on and extrapolate forward the world as we know it at this moment in time. Personally, I think our stories of a technical singularity spring from some very fundamental human needs, namely a fear of our own mortality, and thus a hope, a longing for something that transcends us. Do I believe in a singularity? Not at all. I think the very idea is foolish. We are a remarkably resilient species, and from the discovery of fire, to the Black Death, to the Great World Wars, to our contemporary frantic information-saturated world, we've managed to adapt. Gathered on this beach of digital design, the world does not end with a bang, it moves on with a whisper, with apologies to T.S. Eliot and the Hollow Men. Continuing, we most certainly tell stories with our computers, and furthermore, we may reasonably claim that computing has given storytelling a new art form. This is perhaps most evident in the history of computer games. Roger Ebert triggered a most passionate reaction from the gamer community when, in 2010, he boldly declared that video games cannot be art, and that no one in or out of the field has ever been able to cite a game worthy of comparison with the great poets, filmmakers, novelists, and poets. Oh my, them's fighting words. Albert once doubled down a few months later when he noted, I had to be prepared to agree that gamers could have an experience that, for them, is art. I don't know what they can learn about another human being that way, no matter how much they learn about human nature. I don't know if they can be inspired to transcend themselves. Perhaps they can. Plato once argued that writing things down was a very bad thing, because it chipped away at people being able to remember. Photograph records were similarly condemned for taking away the spontaneity of live music and thus threatening the live of livelihood of many. Digital streaming has been vilified as an instrument of evil that steals from the artist. And yet, in all these cases, 
and especially in the case of computing, technology gives us a medium in which we can not only tell our old stories, but we can tell them, as well as new ones, in new ways. I have an Oculus Rift, and for the moment, the moment I put it on for the first time, I was blown away by the possibilities. Not only do we use our computers to tell stories like Halo or No Man's Sky, we now have an instrument to inject ourselves into our stories in some profound ways. Finally, we tell stories to our computers. This is the privilege and the power of the developer. And I spoke of this in my earlier column, The Stories of Possibility, in which I said that software is the invisible writing that whispers the stories of possibility to our hardware. As a developer, especially if you're using agile methods, you first shape the systems you build by crafting the stories that are important to your stakeholders. Any complex system, as in life, is formed not from a single story, but from a myriad of stories that weave in and out in subtle and exquisite ways. Next, as a developer, you write your software such that, in effect, you are telling a story to your hardware, a story that software-hardware dance will play back to the real world. In that sense, we are indeed the storytellers, we who use our software as brushes and our machines as the canvas.